Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the story of a Virginia pastor who recently died of the coronavirus. And then we're going to talk about drive-in churches. That's coming up next year on The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find us online at 1160hope.com. Get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Ian, I have to tell you something. I have confirmed that you can get our podcast on Alexa. Is this firsthand confirmation, Brian? This is as of 15 minutes ago in my living room, me speaking into the newly charged Alexa. And I heard, I heard our voices through Alexa. <laughs> it is done. <laughs> uh, I hope we have some, uh, some sound effect of like crowds applauding or <laughs> celebratory music or confetti cannons or something. I am so excited and so proud of you, Brian. Well Thank done. you very much. The, our, our long nightmare is over. <laughs> My wife was telling me that she's like, I get so confused which episode I'm listening to because you're always talking about Alexa. <laughs> like, well, you talk about this multiple episodes. I'm like every episode. Every day. Well, we got. We need to find something else to talk about because it is done. <laughs> we're we're going to have to work this into our like regular rigmarole now. We are. So please don't give me any more homework. <laughs> <laughs> please, I mean, believe me, given our track record, I don't plan to. <laughs> but... It's the, it's the best thing I've accomplished today. So that'll tell you something about my day, but we're good to go. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, hey, on a, on a little bit of a sad note, but I, I thought I'd start here uh, because a lot of what we've been hearing as of late, uh, especially in the church world, is these kind of outlier churches going, hey, I want to, we should be still be able to meet, uh, all this kind of stuff. And there was a story out of Virginia uh, of a pastor who on March 22nd held a packed church service. And he said to his congregation, I'm not afraid at all of COVID or the coronavirus. Everybody stand up so they can see how many of us are here. Uh, and uh, sadly, he, he got sick and he passed away yesterday. And I just bring that up to highlight again the severity of what we're going against. I know there's nuanced conversations going on, but this kind of we should be able to meet no matter what, it comes with real life consequences. Right. And I'm wondering if you think like as a pastor, does this hit us in a different way or because it's something that you've tackled really since the beginning of any of this conversation. And I don't unfortunately think this is the last time that we're going to see a story like this. Yeah. And I wonder if like in your mind, is there an added gravity to it because because of the role that you hold? I think so. I think there's, it's not just the arrogance to it, but it's also the bad theology around it that right, people are going right. to say, you can't stop us. We have to be able to gather and kind of this. And, and now you see, and again, I, I do not, I, I know that this isn't even close to the majority of churches doing this, but you see also how it's painting churches. And I just want to be like, look, there's so many churches right. doing such awesome things right now that it does frustrate me. But this story is sad. Like, I saw some people tweeting about it almost like in a funny way. And I'm like, there's nothing funny about this. Like this is horrendously sad. And it just shows why this is a big deal. Why, you know, you got to take this seriously, even though it's annoying 
to still have to do church over, you know, online and to be stuck in our homes. Like, I get it. I wish I could gather with our church every Sunday as well. Uh, but, you know, there's there's lives at stake right now. And we hope that, um, you know, it's sad for what for him passing away. I hope nobody else that was in that church passes away. Well, and that's I mean, this isn't really even worth trying to predict. But I kind of want to ask you if you think stories like this will slow down other churches doing the same kind of thing. Like, like, will this send a message? Do you think, um, which is a pretty bleak way to think about it because on the other hand, like I'm listening, I'm reading this article and part of his quote was, I am essential. He said of remaining open, adding, I'm a preacher. I talk to God, Mm -hmm. which to me. Okay. So it's not just the poor decision of remaining open. It is this bizarre hubris that you somehow, have this direct line to God where, where nobody else does, which right. that's a whole other theological debate that you and I could have maybe in another day. But like that coupled with making some of these choices that have not only endangered others, but have clearly endangered himself, that to me just seems strange, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I wanted to highlight that story because, you know, this isn't just a theoretical conversation going on out there. We're all right. out of our churches and out of our schools and sitting at home for a very specific purpose. Right. Uh, and and uh, the churches, as we've been saying day after day, need to kind of help even lead the way with that. Uh, and then as we kind of catch up on the on the coronavirus, you know, the death rates, uh, thankfully, are a little lower than what they said they thought they're going to be. But still an unbelievable. If you had fast forwarded from six months ago to today, you'd be like, what? What is going on? And uh, there are so many stories out there. I found one on CNN uh, that I did want to ask you about it all about. And thankfully, the White House has come out and clarified that they are not going to fire Dr. Fauci. There was some fear about that. Um, But just even this concept of of uh, Dr. Fauci and other people, it highlighted this for me as I was reading articles. And you tell me what you think about this. Um, I am getting really tired and I, maybe I should just expect this about how politicized already this is all becoming. Like when I was searching for articles today, I've probably found five about kind of politics and the coronavirus for every one of just the stats and, mm-hmm. and everything about this. Do you, uh, are you as discouraged as I am that this is already being kind of weaponized politically, whether it be from uh, president Trump's, uh, you know, um, press briefings or down to uh, the responses to those briefings. Are you discouraged at all about how politicized this already is, or am I just naive to wish that that wasn't the case? Uh, I don't think I would go as far to say that I'm not discouraged at all, but I'm not, I'm not nearly as discouraged maybe as a lot of other people are probably because I do kind of expect it. Like there's not been a whole lot in the media or in the political sphere that surprised me a whole ton, to be honest. So I I don't know, maybe, maybe that just makes me more despondent in general. Um, (laughs) But yeah, the, I mean, the right side of that is you're not as disappointed. There you go. (laughs) It plays out the way that you think that it would Uh, there. Yeah. But there obviously are some really human aspects to my discouragement when you see, and again, we could spend a whole show just talking about that. Probably people I, I imagine have, tweets and articles, interviews that they're thinking of right now too. There's, there's certainly been some, some disappointing things in the news, which is kind of why, you know, we try to every day highlight some good news because I think right. it's really important to counteract Like, okay, we can all admit that wasn't great. Um, and it's worth calling it what it is, but I don't know. I'm at a place now. I'm like, I sort of expect that from this camp or this cabinet or this committee or whatever. There's just right. a part of me that goes that feels like business as usual, just maybe with a, with an elevated intensity because of how global all of this is right now. 
Yeah, I guess I've also been just disappointed by how mm, politi- how politicized this is amongst, like, say, my Facebook friends or this or that. Oh, interesting. You just want to be like, hey, people, let's remember, <laughs> like, this is uh, this is like nine eleven on on a, on multiple times over, and you just want to be like, let's just uh, let let's keep the majors the major here and uh, deal with political fallout later. But, you know, when I, if I read another article about what does this mean for this election, what does this mean for this person's chances, you're like, oh, my gosh, people are laying in the hospital dying right now. Like, let's, let's, let's get some priorities here. And I guess I had hope that that would happen. Uh, but actually, it seems to be getting less and less of that. <laughs> it's getting uh, as well, this it, becomes. It, it feels a little apples and oranges, too, though, because I think that you can both – uh, be somber and reflective and grieve the loss of life and still know that like infrastructure conversations need to happen. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the trajectory of the next couple of weeks to months uh, might not be life or death in terms of Corona, but could be life or death for a million other reasons because yep. of a million other factors. So I, I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive. Uh, but yeah, that's probably a general statement uh, overall that it seems that we've moved beyond grief pretty quickly to you know politicizing and and that is a that is a as a uh general vibe and pulse is maybe not great absolutely and so uh not to start us on a discouraging note but i just found myself reading today going man come on people we can do better than this and uh hopefully we who are listening to this uh kind of commit to that well coming up next uh we're going to talk about this a uh, new way that some people are doing church during this coronavirus pandemic. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us uh, on this Tuesday afternoon, although I am at my house like the rest of you probably are, and I'm looking out my bedroom window, and you know what I see right now? What Snow. do you see? Oh, see- no. No snow, like it's just flurry. It's not going to stick. But this is a this is a kind of a kick to the teeth right here. The fact that we're getting some snow amidst all of this feels a little bit unfair right now. <laughs> just one more point for me being locked down here in the basement. I don't see any of that. You could pretend it's seventy and sunny outside right now. I've been telling myself all day that <laughs> spring has sprung. Spring has sprung. Yeah, a little bit of snow flurry. So that's what we got going on right now. Well, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find us online, 1160hope.com, and get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Here's what we're asking you to do. Uh, subscribe to it, rate it, review it, and uh, pass it on to a friend. That does help us, and uh, we're grateful for those of you who listen to the podcast. Uh, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to everybody a little bit about some kind of new things that churches are doing, excuse me, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic where we can't be together on a Sunday morning. Before we do that, though, I want to hear some good news about Thrivent. Yes, sirree, Bob, here it comes, Thrivent Financial. Uh, I've been a Thrivent member for almost a decade now at this point. Can't, I can't believe, honestly, that I've been doing anything that responsible for 10 years. That's <laughs> surprising probably to everyone listening. They're a, a wonderful Fortune 500 non-for-profit, been around for 100 plus years. Uh, if you're interested at all just in checking them out, I encourage you to do that, Thrivent.com. But in particular, if you're looking for a career change, you're entrepreneurial, you're just looking for a change of pace or something you like coming alongside people helping them, uh, Thrivent might have a position for you. I would encourage you to head over to thrivent.com slash careers or call 
to eight. And at the very least, you'll talk to another human person, which in this <laughs> age of quarantining, I think is of highest currency for most of us. So uh, yeah, six three zero five nine eight two one two eight. Give them a call. So you just said, I can't believe I've done anything that long. That's really funny you said that because just this morning, I had this moment of going, wait a minute, I've been doing uh, various jobs, but I've been working in a church for 20 years. Whoa. I'm like, I still don't feel like A, I know what I'm doing and B, I don't feel old enough to have been doing anything for 20 years. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, I had a conversation with somebody, someone, this was, gosh, before the lockdown, but I, oh, someone was like, oh, did you used to work at Starbucks? And uh, they said, yeah. And they're like, oh, how long ago? And I did the math and I was like, oh, 22 years ago. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, Starbucks existed then? I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. That is funny. Yeah, I just thought of that today going, man, that's wild. Um, anyway, one of the things we've been talking about and we know is that churches are, are uh, many churches are using what's going on right now and our inability to meet together on Sunday mornings in our buildings all together uh, physically uh, are using it as opportunities to try new things. Uh, a lot of us doing things online um, and seeing, you know, various results from that. Uh, here's my question for you, man, because it's getting more and more reporting on this. What are your, what are your thoughts on this stay in your car uh, everybody come to the church parking lot or another parking lot or a drive-in movie theater or something else and people running worship services that way. What, that seems to be popping up more and more and wonder what you think about that. I mean, I feel like I'm not supposed to like it, but I really, <laughs> I, I really do. I don't know because I've seen a bunch of contrarian articles about, about like that isn't really the point and you're still endangering people. And I, I haven't, taking a deep dive into whether or not this actually is like medically safe or not. But I got to admit, you know, I saw a couple of friends who are pastors of churches who were doing this. And I thought, man, what a, what a cool way to actually still have some sense that you're physically together in the same space. I don't know if you've ever been to a drive-in before, but there is this weirdly kind of communal sense to it. And I think that we've accomplished some of this with some of our digital online streaming things yeah. and a lot of the chat options, and a lot of the Facebook live stuff and the zoom stuff. So I think that churches are, are, uh, are being relatively innovative and helping kind of narrow that gap of how distant we feel, but there is something different to being physically in the same space. Even if you're remaining in the car windows up in a massive field with other people, there's, I don't know, something about it. I, I really do. I'm intrigued by it at the very least. And uh, why did you say you feel like you shouldn't like it? Just because you said you've read articles or it feels like it might be risky? What's, what's the uh, downside of it? I've not even gone so far to read articles, to be completely honest. I've just seen some contrarian tweets and posts from people who have, you know, made claims that it, it isn't actually a safe option. I gotcha. And, and they might be 100% right. Just again, admittedly, I've not taken a deep dive at all to read into it. And if it is unsafe then I would not be for this, to be honest. Right. My guess is it probably fits in some weird sort of gray middle ground, which is, again, maybe some would say not worth the risk for you to just simply feel like you're together with your church, just stay home. I could see someone making a strong case there, and they might very well be right. At the very least, just as a concept, when I saw them kind of popping up, I thought, 
Well, isn't that a clever idea? <laughs> <laughs> and there were, there were other ideas that, that you and I have highlighted over the last couple of weeks. Like I've been told more people about that one church in Texas doing their stuff, their children's ministry in a Minecraft world. <laughs> yes, right, right. It was an Easter egg hunt, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, if you do want to do a deep dive, go to our Facebook page because actually at Christianity Today, uh, they wrote an article just the other day entitled, Does Stay in Your Car Worship Comply with Stay-at-Home Orders? Uh, church, state, and health officials across the country disagree about drive-in services. Uh, fascinating article. In fact, what Ian was just saying is 100% true, that it almost varies by the state. Yeah. Um, and so if you're a pastor out there or a church leader and you're thinking about doing this, I would say call your city, call your uh, call your local people and find out if you're allowed to, because it really does vary uh, by the state. Uh, some states are saying, no, you can't do this, and others are saying that you can. Um, in fact, in Texas, a judge in one county, quote, strongly encouraged drive-in churches, while hmm. in another county, a judge said they were not allowed at all. <laughs> so, Oh, interesting. Uh, so it is all over the board. I did want to get your view, and this might be longer than the two minutes we have left, uh, you and, I, you and I travel in a pastor world, so we probably see the debates that other people aren't seeing. But uh, virtual communion, what are your thoughts on that, that people have, uh, that's been going on as of late? Man, I can't believe you asked me that with only two minutes left. Um, <laughs> or just tell us why it's an issue in the first place. Well, okay. Gosh, that takes more than two minutes, too. We were actually having this conversation, you know, probably a year and a half ago when we started planting churches in prisons, because that was one of the mm-hmm. questions that was raised, like, how do we handle communion? And I'm sure there are plenty of people that are like, it's just juice and crackers. What's the big deal? And our more orthodox brothers and sisters probably are of the opposite opinion. Right. So I, gosh, I don't even want to dip a toe in the waters because I don't <laughs> think we have enough time for it. But at the very least, I would like to at least present that it is a conversation worth having. It is a topic worth researching and investigating because uh, there are really, really smart people on both sides of this debate. Right. The, the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, actually, there's some deeply historic, deeply theological significance to ha- what we perceive is actually happening in that moment. Yeah. Is it just a memorial? Are we actually somehow mysteriously meeting Jesus in that moment? Does it matter that we're doing it in our homes and not in a church building or at an altar? Does it matter if it's not right. or blessed by a priest? I mean, these are really significant questions. And uh, I think at the very least, maybe as an act of ecumenical love, Maybe we tone down so like, ah, it's just juice and crackers. What's right. the big deal? Like right. just out of respect, maybe for our other brothers and sisters who uh, land in different theological places than we do. That's maybe an exercise in ecumenically loving our brothers and sisters yeah. <laughs> yeah. in the midst of this conversation. But, I, you know, do you have a, a doctrinal conviction there? You know, we actually did it for the first time on Good Friday, and I own the fact to people of going, this is complicated. I, You know, this is kind of a really strange time, and I just kind of, right. without getting into it. Maybe we'll get into that later in the week. Let's find some good resources and have that conversation, because it is fascinating. Most people are probably out there going, ah, it's just juice and cup, or the other side. Uh, but I've seen churches doing online baptisms and all sorts of other uh-huh. things that I think are interesting. So let's let's have that talk later in the week. Yeah, sounds good. Coming up next, uh, article at a Gospel Coalition about how homeschooling, this author says, uh, is a sanctifying experience. That's what we're going to talk about next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. 
you could always read more of the stuff we're talking about here on our Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show, or Twitter page, at Common Good Talk. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we are grateful for those of you who do this. At the Gospel Coalition, uh, a site that we go to often, uh, at the Gospel Coalition today, there's an article by Clarissa Mole entitled, Sanctification by Homeschooling. Uh, let me just read to you some of this, uh, and then we'll jump into it. She said, when word came from our governor that schools were closing until May 4th because of COVID-19, I'll admit my heart skipped a beat with happiness. While many parents dreaded these quarantine weeks, I welcome my new extended hours with my children. This school year has been a joyful, albeit bittersweet, exercise in loving and letting go. Uh, in the fall, all four of my children began hybrid schooling, part homeschool, part regular school, after seven years of homeschooling. Uh, and so since our governor issued his stay-at-home order, my children's amazing teachers have pulled together resources. They send daily work via Zoom. And uh, at home, I coordinate my children's schoolwork. It's been a big shift to add these new responsibilities. Nevertheless, I'm relishing this unexpected opportunity to gain once again a front row seat to my children's learning. And so she gives that kind of background, but then she's going to talk about how difficult it's been, uh, how it, it's hard for all of us. And I don't want to just focus this on homeschooling. I want to uh, broaden this out to all of us just being in our homes hour after hour with our families. Yeah. Uh, and she says this, hardest of all, homeschooling has required me to wrestle with my own sinfulness in front of an audience. Hmm. My children have seen my best and my worst. They watch me lose my patience and, and my need to apologize. They see, me, uh, they see me admit I don't know an answer, but pridefully brush off an opportunity uh, to look it up. By watching my foibles and failures, they're learning that being an adult means needing to prioritize, keep commitments, and be honest about struggles. They're learning that Christ-likeness is formed in the most unglamorous of ways over a mm. math lesson while shaping an essay when a science experiment goes haywire. So there's so much more good stuff in here, but speak to that a little bit, man. This, the, the fact that this quarantine in some ways is causing us uh, to have to really struggle together. And it's really probably showing us the best of us and the worst of us to the people we love the most. Well, and I think that's true anytime that we're in close proximity with others or, or weathering some kind of storm right. together. Like I'll often say this in premarital counseling, like marriage will be maybe the most sanctifying thing you do this side of heaven, like having a person living under the same roof with you, seeing all of the ugliness that you're probably able to hide at church or in your social media presence, like having someone who hopefully, you know, scars, warts and all this is there with you till death do you part. Right. Yep, and yep, yep. I, I think that that's why covenantal language is so important in marriage because it's a promise that, Hey, things are uh, undoubtedly going to get rocky. My commitment to you is to weather those storms. But the idea of like, I had a professor who used to say, there's no way to grow in the fruit of the spirit in a vacuum. Like if you want mm. to grow in kindness, you don't just lock yourself in the closet and say, Lord, make me more kind. If you pray that prayer, God's going to bring people into your life that are hard to be kind to. That's how, that's how we grow in these things is through resistance. We see this in nature. We see this in science, right? It's what helps trees roots go down deeper is when there's a lot of wind resistance above the surface. I think that's maybe even a helpful picture to think about uh, formation and sanctification and holiness. Some of the stuff needs to be chipped away. And if you think about, 
stuff being shipped away. That's a, that's a painful process, but mm. I like what she was saying too, about all of that happening, like in front of an audience, you know, cause we've all yeah. been convicted by stuff that maybe someone just simply called us out. Like, Hey man, you weren't, you weren't really Christ-like in that meeting back there. I saw that you said this and that's just not okay. But to have the in and out rhythm of like trying to hold it together at home and then knowing that your kids are seeing a side of you that maybe you've done a pretty good job of hiding. There's, there is some real work that I think is being done in that. And I'll also add like in the moments where my wife, you know, leaves to go grocery shopping or something and it's just me home with the kids. Mm. It's also so elevated my appreciation of her and her patience with them because I start to realize, wow, I, my, my fuse is way shorter than I thought it was. And I lost it on them way quicker than I thought that I would. Like it's yeah. also, it's elevated, increased my appreciation and affection for her and the ways that she like lives and loves and parents them. Because when it's just me and them, it's like, Oh gosh, there's some ugliness still in my heart. <laughs> I don't respond like that. Like he's two, he doesn't know. You know what I mean? Like there's, so if you let it, I think all of those things can be uh, sanctifying in, the, in their own way. Uh, you brought up the premarital counseling one. I'll never forget uh, telling a couple in premarital, they were just out of college, you know, and you're all just ready to be married. Uh, and I said to them, I said, your first year of marriage, you will laugh more than you've ever laughed and you'll cry more than you've ever cried. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> they looked at me like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Well, and don't you find too, the young couples are often like sometimes a little braggadocious, like, oh, we never fight. And I'm oh, like, that's, not, that's not as good a sign as you think it is. Exactly. Like, that's just going to make your first fights harder. <laughs> yeah. You need to learn how to fight. That's how we grow. That's how we're formed. That's right. And so I know in these past, say, month right now, uh, we've had to, I've had to have more, I've had to apologize more to my kids, yeah, but yeah. also have had to have more hard talks with them about, you know, their behavior and basically just be like, listen, it's hard to all be together all the day. Uh, and it's really been a lesson of like, man, we're doing lots of laughing and lots of playing and lots of, you know, it's in some ways it's really fun just to be with my kids, but there are moments where you're like, Oh, there's like some ugliness within me that, that might get tempered in a normal day when I'm at work all day and then come home or whatever else, but the short fuse is coming and you're like, Oh man, I need to apologize to them. It is, it's, it's hard. And that's her point here. Like there's this sanctifying, this, uh, this magnifying glass, right. That's going up that allows us to see things uh, in our own souls and in our own lives that, that become, you know, our families become good mirrors of those. Like, okay, now I see by in how I'm treating my kids, I see some of my problems and uh, how would you encourage people as they start seeing some ugliness in, in themselves in this situation? What would you encourage them to do with that? I, you know, I had a pastor that used to say, don't waste your suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and this article isn't particularly about suffering, but it is, I think, a call to be mindful of this present moment that, yes, it's tough. And not even just the homeschooling piece. It is also for a lot of us, fear of finances, fear of health, fear of loss of relationship. I mean, there's a lot other, there's a lot else that's informing all of that. But I think if we can be more intentional about having rhythms of reflection where we're asking ourselves the hard questions like, Lord, how, how can we use this to form me to look more like you or help me to be present enough to know that what on the surface looks like me flying off the handle is an opportunity for me to build a deeper bond with my child or my spouse, but also to be formed into your likeness. I think it's easy to just sort of blaze past all this and sort of look for the finish line. Like, I can't wait till we're back to normal or I don't have to deal with this. I think that would be, for me, I'd consider that wasting this season. Like, 
be present with what God is doing in your life right here and now. And, and maybe ask him preemptively, Lord, show me how you're forming me in this next day, even and maybe especially in the frustrating moments where I fly off the handle. I think those are important prayers to pray all the time, but especially right now. Yeah, absolutely. So you can see that article on our Facebook page. Uh, it is by Clarissa Mull from the Gospel Coalition. We'd encourage you uh, to give that a read. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about an article that says this, I miss the ordinary the most. That's coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, you can find the articles we're about to talk about or have already talked about. You can find those at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Also, we have a podcast. Find that podcast wherever uh, you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, thanks to those of you who listen on the radio, but also those of you who listen via podcast. Uh, before we jump into this article, uh, I do want to tell you about something that we're proud to be doing here at the radio station. Because during the coronavirus pandemic, uh, we know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Totally free, no catch. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. I love that we're doing that. I do too. I do too. Hopefully people are taking advantage of that. Uh, and as that list gets out there, that people start um, patronizing those businesses. So, um, all right. What's this guy's name? Tim, how do you say his name? Chalice? Chalice? C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S. I read his blog often and just realized I don't know how to say his name. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll go with Chalice. There you go. He wrote a blog post entitled, I Miss the Ordinary uh, the Most. Let me just read the first paragraph. Recent conversations with other Christians have shown that I'm not alone in carrying an unusual level of stress, fear, uh, and anxiety. These are uncertain days, and many of us are struggling through them in various ways. Some are feeling this struggle as heavy emotional weight. Some are feeling it as a despondency or a listlessness. Some are feeling it physically as cold sweats or a tightening of the chest. And no wonder. We're quarantined within our homes. We're adopting, adapting to unwelcome new realities. We're setting new patterns. We're facing a future that is uncertain. We have no idea when or if we'll return to some semblance of normalcy. In the face of all this, perhaps it would be a surprise if we did not experience some anxiety uh, and feel some measure of stress. I want to stop there and go, uh, isn't it nice when people just acknowledge like, hey, if you weren't feeling stressed and anxious about this, then I'd, I'd be worried about you, not worried about you that you are feeling those things. Yeah, it's, I think it's helpful for people to know that they're not alone in what they're feeling, which is easy to feel right now because we're so isolated, even though we're connected, I think. So much, at least of my rhythms right now, digitally is like taking care of tasks. Like we do have a fair amount of like check-ins and how you're doing, but yeah. I, I think there's probably a lot less of like reading people's body language and like, oh man, you seem stressed or you seem a little worn out, which are helpful sort of touch points for people. I think because we are missing a lot of that, there's probably a lot more people feeling like they're alone in their emotions than maybe otherwise would just because we're physically distant from each other. 
Yeah. And so it's going to go on to say, he's going to go on to say that in the midst of all of this, he is surprised of how much he misses the ordinary. And uh, I thought that was a, a kind of fascinating thing that you and I have touched on a lot of times here. He's talking about the ordinary within the church, kind of God's ordinary grace. Um, but I want to expand it to just the ordinary, what was our ordinary lives? Do you find yourself more missing kind of extraordinary things like, um, you know, special things like uh, for me, it would be like going to a game with my, with my kid or whatever else, or do you find yourself just missing your ordinary rhythm of life right now of, Hey, can go grab Starbucks with somebody and be in church on Sunday and that kind of stuff. Do you uh, find yourself really missing the ordinary? Well, here's the thing, Brian, when you have a two and one year old, you're not doing a whole lot of the extraordinary. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, for me, the ordinary is the extraordinary. This will sound sappy, but I honestly think the thing I miss the most is like actual date nights out with my wife. Like oh, that's nice. babysitter come over. We're going to, we're going to put some adult clothes on and <laughs> like actually go, you know, have a nice dinner together. Like those, and maybe that fits somewhere between, you know, the ordinary just grabbing coffee and the extraordinary, like going to the opera or something. But there, there is something about that rhythm that I, I have really missed. And we've tried um, really intentionally to still kind of guard that and make that a priority, even though it looks way different now than it did a month ago. But um, yeah, I, I tend to land more on like really craving like, man, I just miss sharing an office with those guys yeah. or grabbing a cup of coffee or having lunch with a friend like that. That stuff is, uh, is, is weighing on me a little bit, to be honest. Yep. Uh, and he's talking about specifically about the ordinary things that churches do. So yeah. uh, as pastors, we can hop into that. Uh, we even touched on it earlier in the show about, you know, the ordinary rhythm of communion, right? But also just the ordinariness of meeting together. Like I've never, uh, let's just say, I would say I've taken for granted that when I wake up on a Sunday and go, all right, I get to go to church today, right? And right, right. now that it's been taken away, you're like, uh, or now that I'm emailing with people going, man, in a normal, ordinary time, I would have said, hey, you want to meet up at Starbucks? Hey, you want to go to Panera? Uh, right. Or the Zoom and having to see people over that, uh, I, I have been surprised, not just as a pastor, because it's, you know, our, our jobs to do this, but I've been even pleasantly surprised, I would say, by the number of people in our church family who have said, my goodness, I miss uh, shaking hands at the front door. I miss nice. yeah. just yeah. being able to give somebody a hug. Uh, and I think that that hopefully that that we don't forget that when they start to come back. Uh, It's really interesting how many people have expressed that in relation to church, how they just miss the ordinary thing that none of us thought twice about before. Well, and that what you're touching on and what I think those comments are really pointing towards is an embodied theology. The reason that you miss shaking hands isn't just because you're a friendly person. It's because something spiritual happens to us when we are able to physically worship together, to greet and hug together, to share a meal together you know, the Jewish mystics historically had the, a phrase when something like every table is an altar. In other words, like every conversation is this like sacred opportunity uh, to be Jesus to one another. And I think that's where I think pastors have a unique opportunity now. And we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show. Like is what we're seeing right now, this incredible opportunity for the church and church growth, or is it going to set us way back because it's now, you know, too attractional in nature? Yep. I would love to see more pastors tackling the issue of a theology of the body and embodiment and incarnation. Like what is lost and how do we give people categories and handles for navigating 
this physical isolation that they're feeling and to see it as more than just simple run of the mill loneliness. Like there's something mysterious and I believe theologically profound about being in physical space together. And if we're not helping people grapple with those things, I think we're missing a real opportunity. That's really well put because I think it's more there than like you said, people just going, I just kind of miss being with my family or my church family, Right. but that we are meant to be together as family, right? Right Right. now, right now we're enjoying uh, being with our closest family, right? My wife and my kids, Uh but I miss my extent. I live next door to my parents, but rarely see them. Right. And uh, when we see them, it's a wave from a distance. We miss our actual family. Um, but then also our church family. And this is where it gets back to, uh, you know, I, I like to call our church a family. I like to call it a community. And this is one of the reasons why, right? Like we hug each other and we see each other and we enjoy being around each other and we figure life out together. And that feels like it's been lost. And the, the weird thing is, I don't even think we knew that we had that until it was taken away from us. Hmm. I think that's probably true for a lot of things too. Like, yeah. how, do, how do we fully appreciate things? Uh, until we no longer have them. That's a, a tale as old as time, and we've seen a million movies made about it. But I think it is an important spiritual discipline now to really do the hard work of walking through, like, why am I feeling this this way or with this level of gravity? Is it possible that just simply being together has way more significance than maybe I've previously considered? And I think for pastors and leaders and theologians and scholars to help point people in helpful directions there would be would be really, really needed. Absolutely. Well, you can find that article at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to talk about whether this, uh, all that we're going through, we're going to read one article that said it has set the church back and another article that says it's been good for the church. Ian and I are going to wrestle with those differing views coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about uh, two different articles that talk about whether what's going on right now is good or bad for the church. And then we're going to talk to a local pastor by the name of David Washington. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, You can find us uh, on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we are grateful for those of you who do that. Uh, so, 
interestingly, we, we both saw these two articles uh, that are taking very different uh, bents on what's going on in the church right now. The first by Michael Frost, uh, he's titled, The Coronavirus Could Set the Church Back 25 Years, uh, and also Carrie Newhoff uh, that says, half of all churches are instantly growing, and here's why and here's what to do. Uh, and it kind of all collided in a Facebook post uh, in which there's been a great back and forth. So I'm wondering, you've read both these, if you could summarize a little bit, just the main kind of what's going on in this conversation, and then I'd love to talk about what we think. Yeah, and just to be clear, so Carrie's came first, and okay. Michael Cross was a response to Carrie's, and then Jeff Holzklaw, who's a, uh, a professor and an author. And then just to say it out loud, these are three really awesome smart men, great yep. leaders. We've referenced all of them on the show. David Fitch gets in the mix here as well. So the basic premise of Carrie's, and I, I don't think we'll have time to get in the weeds on all of these, uh, but his headline says, half of all churches are instantly growing. Here's why, and here's what to do. So his stat here is that 49% of all churches are growing right now. A month earlier before the pandemic hit the West, the statistic would have been somewhere between 8 and 15%. Some of his headlines are that, or subheadings are there's a big spike in spiritual curiosity. Uh, later, he says that people see digital as real. And then a little bit later, he says digital church has a much lower barrier to participation. And then fourth, the online church scales in a way that physical church simply can't. So he's sort of, uh, in some ways, making the case, and I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but that this current moment, this season, this pandemic is creating a mobility and also an accessibility of the church unlike anything we've seen for millennia and that uh, we're counting some of these uh, growth metrics as, as these big wins and more and more people are able to interact with uh, spiritual conversations and people of faith and pastors and sermons and so on. Michael's response is uh, not the, it's not necessarily the complete yin to his yang, but his headline is that coronavirus could set the church back 25 years. He says, 25 years ago, I began warning the church about its overemphasis on, quote, attractional strategies. That is the come to us stance taken by many churches influenced by the church growth movement back then. I wasn't the only one. Um, other voices had made similar pleas, urging church leaders to resist the temptation. But it was difficult for some people to hear our cry. They had been shaped by an ecclesiology that emphasized numerical growth. And then he later goes on to talk about how the ways that we're measuring growth now in a digital context are much different than how we would be measuring them in a physical context and how he doesn't actually think that this now like purely digital space is, is one really um, bringing the types of numbers that a lot of churches are claiming they're bringing. Right. Also saying that it's, it's a lot of the old strategy all over again about how, how can we create the best sort of digital event for people to attend to and much less about, you know, some kind of participation so then Holesclaw weighs in and he says, uh, I'm going to register a growing frustration with all the hand-wringing about the online church during COVID-19. He links both Carrie and Michael's articles. He says in one corner, Carrie uh, clearly celebrates the moment of church growth and is now preaching about how the future of the church needs to adapt more fully to an online church. In the other corner, you have Michael Frost and David Fitch and their critique that the future of the church is a repetition of the attractional church setting it back 25 years. And then he says... But I'm not sure this COVID-19 moment is that at all. Frankly, this feels like a boomer boxing match of ideologies. So I'll stop there and maybe just ask you, is there a camp that you more closely align with at this point? 
That's <laughs> a great question because I feel like I do land pretty well in the middle. I don't buy into the churches are growing right now. I think we've all got a lot of time in our hands. Lots of people are dropping in, dropping out, watching things like, yeah, it feels good to be like, look at all these, look at all these views, right? Look at all this that we've gotten. Um, but I don't know. I think I, to say that there's this new boom coming, I don't believe that, but uh, you know, but I, I do think um, I, <laughs> let's just put it this way. I think churches are at the end of this. I hope there's little tweaks that have been made, but I think we're going to go back to how things pretty much work. I think uh, churches really? are going to do things the way that they've done them, maybe with some new stuff. Like, you know, we might stay online because we've seen it help some people who aren't able to make it and this and that. Because you weren't doing online at all until this, right? We were not, right? And so we've realized, wow, there are some people who either moved away or because of their jobs aren't able to be there on Sunday who have reengaged with us. And so those are little tweaks we'll probably make. But I think you, you come to Four Corners Community Church after this, my guess is the sense will be the same, what, where we're putting our focus and such. Um, on the other hand, I, I, you know, um, frost usually goes a little further than I want to, I'll put it that way. How about yourself? Do you, do you lean where, where are you, if you were weighing in on this, uh, Facebook thread going on? Yeah, I will kind of cop out and say a little bit of both. On one hand, I have appreciated Carrie's positivity in general, just because I can sometimes be a bit of a cynic. So, you know, historically, and I've, we've referenced a lot of his articles. I've used a lot of his writing in even, you know, staff leadership and training. Um, but at some point though, it does feel like, Oh, I, it feels like too big a celebration for the moment in my opinion. Mm, um, but I think part, part of what, what say it again. That's a good point. Like, yeah, I like what you just said there. Yeah. For me, it's like, um, when you talk about like his fourth point here, online church scales in a way that physical church simply can't, that's true, but that does not in any way diminish the value. I think the critical value of physical space. And I do really appreciate, and we've shared a lot of stories at our church about people literally from all over the world who have made a decision for Jesus. That is phenomenal. And we're able to track, you know, how long people are viewing for and something like, the vast majority of people are staying for 85% of the service. So it isn't just three seconds wow. on and then off. So we yeah. we're able to get some, some pretty solid numbers, but I, I do think, I think Frost's caution about consumer church versus missional church is, is certainly on point. Like he actually has a graphic here. He says consumer church uh, sees church this way. Church is seen as a dispenser of religious good and services. People come to church to be quote fed, to have their needs met through quality programs and to have the professionals teach their children about God. I go to church. The missional church is a body of people sent on mission who gather in community for worship, uh, community engagement and teaching from the word. In addition to what they are self feeding themselves throughout the week, I am the church. Mm. And so I think his contrast between the two is uh, is pretty on point. And I think it's, it's something that I've been really proud of our church because yes, we want these online experiences to be of high excellence and to be engaging and to be thoughtful and to be theologically on point. But one of the things that we put a lot of energy towards is our community cares effort. And that's, that's right. mobilizing people to be the church in the midst of also still trying to create some kind of digital gathering on Sunday. So I, I think it can be a both and, but uh, if I had to choose a lane at this point, I, I would probably land more closely on, on frost persuasion. And with whole I'm, I'm not entirely sure 
I'm not entirely sure what he would propose maybe as the solution here. I think some of his observations are spot on and he's drawing some of the distinctions between the boomers and us now. Um, but there, yeah, I think there's still some nuance that needs to be teased out a little bit there. Absolutely. And we would love your observations on this or your feedback. Uh, two really great articles by great thinkers. And then this Facebook post, like you said, uh, there, there was a little bit of a, it has a feel for a little bit of a who's who in the, in the comment section. So uh, yeah, you should go read the whole thing because it's, absolutely. it's a re- at the very least, I'll just say this too, because I think all these people are brilliant. I think it's a really, really important conversation to be having right now yes. um, because that's, that's how we're going to be strategic in the future is figuring out what, what does this actually look like and what are the things we're celebrating? And I think it's people like this. I, I'm very grateful that they're having these, these conversations. And I love that they both love the church and they want to see what's 100%. best for right. the church. And they're just seeing it differently. And I think it's a great conversation to have. So you can find that on our Facebook page, both the Michael Frost article and the Carrie Newhoff article. Uh, go on over there, the Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, we're excited to have uh, a local pastor from the south side of Chicago. Reverend David Washington is going to join us next here on the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, you know, one thing Ian and I have been trying to do, uh, especially ever since this kind of crazy season of global pandemic and the coronavirus and how it's changed all of our lives is we've been trying to get other voices onto the show, particularly other ministry leaders uh, from the Chicagoland area. And with that in mind, we are really excited to be joined by David Washington today. David, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, rather than me just read your bio or whatever else, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Why don't you tell us about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm born and raised in Chicago on the south side in the Roseland uh, community. Uh, I'm a church planner, leading a church for the past five years, Kingdom Covenant Church on the south side. Uh, in the Roseland community, uh, doing our best to uh, do urban ministry in the inner city, uh, which is tough in and of itself, but mm. definitely more tougher in this season. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Moody grad. Uh, I'm a North Park Seminary grad. And uh, yeah, just a shepherd of kingdom. That's great. I love that, man. All right. So I'm going to ask you a little bit later about a... Uh, a tweet that you had shared about a week or so ago. But first, I'm just curious, how have you been navigating the last month or so as, as a husband, a father, a pastor, a leader? What have been some of the things that you've had to kind of navigate the last few weeks? Well, family, family is, is pretty good. Everyone is in a home. So uh, we don't go out much and we try to limit who goes out. So most right. of the time, if there's any needs, I'll, I'll handle them. Uh, every now and then, my wife uh, may help. Uh, we're um, also, uh, you know, going out uh, helping those in our church who have needs during this time as well. So uh, our home has become like a stock place mm, uh, right to uh, help help those who are in wh- whoever may be in need that that we could help. Um, we're learning, we're doing more technology as a church than we were doing before the pandemic. And uh, the tough part about it is we, we can't have 
uh, the people who normally who are much more capable of doing these things right. around. So my wife and I, <laughs> a couple of others are are navigating that, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing the, you know, YouTube live and the Facebook live and, you know, streaming our services and learning different technologies. So life is uh, pretty busy. Um, and of course, there's a lot of uh, meetings with uh, leaders, you know, in our community, uh, pastors uh, in Chicago and, you know, Zoom conferences and, yeah. you know, trying to see how we could collaborate to do the best uh, we can to meet the needs of people and to make sure that, you know, the needs of pastors and churches are met as well. That's great. Yeah, it has certainly been a learning curve, hasn't it, for all of us? Yes, and uh, David, uh, Ian referenced it before, but last week we we actually talked about a tweet that we saw of yours, and we would love for you to talk more about it because uh, truthfully, it's not something that I was even really aware of. And so let me just read it. It said, although Cook County Jail is believed to be the largest known source of coronavirus cases in the country, with over 400 testing positive in the facility, a federal judge has rejected a request to release detainees. There's little concern for the other detainees and staff. And I know when we read that, we were just kind of blown away by that. So could you tell our audience just a little bit more about what's going on? Yeah, so, um, you know, not just Cook County. The, Cook, the difference between Cook County is a jail, is not a prison. Okay. People are, you know, uh, going through the due process of the law. Um, and there, it's just a de- place to be detained until... Uh, their cases are called to court and they make decisions in the courtroom. Uh, the problem is, is very overcrowded in Cook County. Um, it's probably uh, uh, double, if not more, uh, the, the, at, uh, of its capacity for, for inmates in there. You have a lot of elderly people in there, people with health issues, people mm-hmm. who are more susceptible to contracting this virus and spreading it. Um, and so uh, a lot of uh, organizations, legal organizations and activists came together to uh, uh try to get the governor to uh, extend the release. And this is a temporary release. It's not saying that they would be released, you know, and, you know, their cases would be tossed out just to because they are so incapable of protecting them and mm. isolating them and mm. putting in the um, safe distancing practices that that's needed. Uh, they're at risk for, you know, getting sick, which could eventually be a death sentence, you mm. know, for a lot mm. of people. Um, and so, you know, that's the issue with Cook County Jail. We also have issues with our prisons as well, with uh, some inmates who have done most of the time they were sentenced from and, uh, you know, could likely be released, saying that they've done most of their sentencing uh, but, you know, it's complicated. I, yeah, I, yeah. I get that. But I mean, the world is complicated right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. And, and we're doing we're doing what we need to do to save lives. Mm. And so uh, the judge, uh, you know, rejected the request for the mm. temporary release of 
uh, inmates who are, uh, and not just any inmates, but those who have who, those are who are uh, up in age and may have pre-existing uh, health issues that you know give them a higher risk than mm. others. So I'm, I'm wondering because Brian and I have had a hard time talking about much anything else over the last few weeks, and one of the things that I've discovered just in doing this show is how many layers and factors there are to this discussion. And part of what I'm learning is that, yes, there's the virus conversation and, you know, people are doing their best to stay at home and uh, to stock up as much food as they possibly can. But the more that I'm reading, I'm I'm realizing, like you were just saying, there's a conversation about incarcerated citizens. There's a, a racial conversation. There's an economic conversation. There's a class conversation. Like what are some other components of this pandemic as someone who is pastoring on the south side of Chicago, what are, what are other components or factors that maybe someone listening hasn't considered as it pertains to this like weird cultural moment that we're in right now? Yeah. Um, quite honestly, I, I, I think we're still learning. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, of course, you know how, how it's impacting the African-American community uh, is a big one, um, which you know, have more, well, you know, people say it, that has more to do with geography than, than race, but uh, mm-hmm. geography in our city, geography and race kind of works together, mm-hmm. though uh, the, the city pretty much uh, decides, you know, through uh, systems who would live where <laughs> and who want mm-hmm. and um you know, along with that, uh, the poverty, the uh, poor quality of food, uh, like Roseland doesn't even have a grocery, a major chain grocery store wow. in, the, in the Roseland community, you know. And so um, that's, that's a big factor. I think another factor is the, the, how it's sil- psychologically impacting young people. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, I have a, a son who is a young adult, you know, he's 21 years old and I'm just seeing how it is impacting him. You know, he really doesn't want to go out again until they find a vaccine. And I'm mm. trying, trying to help him understand uh, that may not happen. They may mm. not be a, the, the idea is to control it. We may not be able to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, and then those who are younger, the children, like the children at our church, you know, is impacted by this. And when you deal with some of the things that go on in uh, urban, uh, you know, poor communities, uh, a lot of children deal with traumatic events and experiences anyway and this just adds to to the stress that a child shouldn't be experiencing Mm. uh but it is the case um there's more negative reporting in the press than there is you know that we're not hearing the numbers of people who are you know surviving the virus and you know it's just little that seems to be pushing hope Mm. uh and so uh, those are a couple of things that I could think of That's at good, this man. point. 
David, we're so grateful that you joined us again. You've been listening to David Washington. He's the founder and senior pastor of Kingdom Covenant Church in the Roseland community on the south side of Chicago. David, thank you. Stay safe. And uh, we'll thank be praying you. for you as you continue to lead your church. Thank Thanks you, so much, sir. man. God bless you. You, you too, too, man. Appreciate it. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today on this Tuesday evening. Hope you're having a great day, even though it got cold again and I saw snow today. Yeah, not a fan. Not, not a fan a at all. Not a fan at all. So uh, if we're going to be in our houses, we can at least have nice weather, but hopefully it's coming soon. Uh, but you can find us. Go ahead and find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com and get our podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, you can even ask Alexa. Alexa will get you there. And how do I know? Because I tried it today and it works. I could not be. That makes the snow so much less frustrating, knowing, <laughs> knowing that that has actually happened. Oh, Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome for that. So did want to tell you about one exciting thing that we're doing here at the station, something we're proud of, because uh, we know during this coronavirus pandemic, we know that there's so many businesses that have had to unfortunately close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open, serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. All one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Totally free, no catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Ooh, that was so dramatic at the end. That was powerful. Yep, I do. I do enjoy. It's like American Idol, like the critique of of my read there. I think each time I do appreciate that. Open for business. <laughs> it like it was like a, the intro to a monster truck rally or something. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, at Forge dot com, uh, you put this article up. Uh, it has to do. Uh, with prepare, it says, for the ultimate gaslighting. And underneath it, it says, you are not crazy, my friends. So let me ask you to do two things. Before kind of telling us what this article's about, could you define, like you had to for me between segments, define <laughs> gaslighting? Well, lucky for you and everyone, the beginning of this article actually defines it for you. So it says gaslighting, if you don't know the word, is defined as manipulation into doubting your own sanity, as in... Carl made Mary think she was crazy, even though she clearly caught him cheating. He gaslit her. So uh, it's a word that I imagine at least you've heard referenced or seen in the news. There's been a lot of accusations of various different politicians and leaders uh, gaslighting others or the American public. So that's the general that's the general definition. It is the, manip- the manipulation into doubting your own sanity. So with that in mind, uh, let me just read a couple articles, or a couple articles, a couple paragraphs. <laughs> Just sit down for the next half hour. I'm going to read a few articles uh, quietly to myself. Here's, here's how it starts. It says, pretty soon, as the country begins to figure out how we, quote, open back up and move forward, very powerful forces will try to convince us all to get back to normal. 
that never happened. What are you talking about? That kind of stuff. Billions of dollars will be spent on advertising, messaging, and television and media content to make you feel comfortable again. It will come in the traditional forms of billboard here, 100 commercials there, and in new media forms. A 2020-2021 generation of memes to remind you that what you want again is normalcy. In truth, you want the feeling of normalcy, and we all want it. We want desperately to feel good again, to get back to the routines of life and to not lie in bed at night wondering how we're going to afford our rent and bills, to not wake up to an endless scroll of human tragedy on our phones, to have a cup of perfectly brewed coffee and simply leave the house for work. The need for comfort will be real and it will be strong. And every brand in America will come to your rescue, dear consumer, to help take away that darkness and get life back to the way it was before the crisis. I urge you to be well aware of what is coming. And then the author writes, for the last hundred years, the multi-billion dollar advertising business has operated based on this cardinal principle. Find the consumer's problem and fix it with your product. When the problem is practical and tactical, the solution is, quote, as seen on TV and available at Home Depot, command strips will save me from having to repaint. So will Mr. Clean's magic eraser. Alpha shelving will get rid of a mess in my closet. The ring doorbell will let me see who's on the front porch if I can't take my eyes off of Netflix. But when the problem is emotional, the fix becomes a new staple in your life and you become a lifelong loyalist. Coca-Cola makes you happy. Mercedes makes you successful. Taking your family on a Royal Caribbean cruise makes you special. Smart marketers know how to highlight what brands can do for you to make your life easier, but brilliant marketers know how to rewire your heart. Mm -hmm. And make no mistake, the heart is what has been most traumatized this last month. We are, as a society, now vulnerable in a whole new way. And I'll pause there for a moment. Have you given much thought to like what this might look like in the coming months and years as we sort of pull out of all of this? Yeah, for first of all, that way they described marketing right there, I've never heard. And it makes all the sense in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> like right. this makes you feel special and it goes to something deeper. Uh, I have, I have given some thought to it and I, I feel this pull to want, I'm going to be of the personality to want to just be like, all right, everything's normal again. We're back. Right. Even though it's not. And right. so I do resonate with this. Like, even now as people are like, you know, it's not as bad or, you know, we'll get back to normal. I'm like, I feel myself going, yeah, we're going to get back to normal. Even though in words, you and I have talked about how, what will the new normal be? We don't know. I still find myself going, okay, let's just weather this and get back to normal. So I think I'll be susceptible to those memes and those advertisements and whatever marketing campaign there is that says, uh, we're ready to be normal. I'm going to be like, yes, we are. And then, uh, but, but I think this article makes a, makes a, great point of, you know what, we need to give some deeper thought to what normal's going to actually be when we get out of here. So uh, I do, I do feel like uh, I have this longing for normal that if someone says, Hey, it's time for normal again, I could see myself really being pulled by that. Yeah. And I, I want to read, I wish I could read this whole thing. I'd encourage you to really read it. Good. It's on the Facebook page because it's really good. But the way it ends, it says from one citizen to another, I beg of you, take a deep breath Ignore the deafening noise and think deeply about what you want to put back into your life. This is our chance to define a new version of normal, a rare and truly sacred opportunity to get rid of all the stuff and to only bring back what works for us. 
make uh, what makes our lives richer, what makes our kids happier, what makes us truly proud. We get to Marie Kondo all of it. We care really deep about one another. That is clear. We can be seen in every supportive Facebook post and every meal dropped off for a neighbor and every Zoom birthday party. We're good. And as good people, we want to define on our own terms what this country looks like in 5, 10, 50 years. We can do that on a personal scale in our homes and how we choose to spend our family time on nights and weekends, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, and what we choose to spend our dollars on and where. We can do it locally in our communities and what organizations we support, what truths we tell, and what events we attend. And we can do it nationally in our government, in which leaders we vote in and to whom we give power. If we want cleaner air, we can make it happen. If we want to protect our doctors and nurses from the next virus and protect all Americans, we can make it happen. If we want our neighbors and our friends to earn a dignified income, we can make that happen. If we want millions of kids to be able to eat, if suddenly their school is closed, we can make that happen. And yes, if we just want to live a simpler life, we can make that happen too. But only if we resist the massive gaslighting that is about to come. It is on its way. Look out. Mm. So it's, again, um, maybe a little more... It's not full on alarmist, but it certainly is sort of creeping towards that category than you and I tend to be. And so I would couch all of this in a greater umbrella of God's protection and awareness of us, right? So like ultimately an internal, an internal sense, we don't have anything to fear, but I like, I like the perspective overall that we should be bracing ourselves now for what, what history has told us will come next and heading into you know, a season unlike anything we've ever really seen before and going in with eyes wide open, I think is, is not only smart, but it's, it's part of the duty of the Christ follower. Like God help us to see what's really going on here when I'm hearing this message or I'm seeing this billboard or I'm feeling this in my heart. And I think that's, that's just an important thing to kind of always keep out in front. Yeah. And I think this is always good, uh, good advice. But like you said, with something this big, uh, it's going to be that much more important. Like, Right. Uh, yeah, things don't feel normal, but I'm being told it's normal. So maybe I'm the crazy one uh, is going to be something we're going to have to fight. Because like we've been saying over and over again, we don't know what normal is going to be anymore. Uh, right. We don't exactly. know what it's going to be a month from now, six months from now, a year from now. All of it can be different. And uh, I, I man, this is a really good article. Let me encourage you to go to our Facebook page. It does uh, have some strong language. Fair warning. Oh, yep. 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 Good point. Uh But go to our Facebook page and give it a read, and we'd love to know what you think. Well, coming up next, uh, we still end our show the way we always have been, with some interweb insanity. And uh, yesterday's was a good one. It was a good one. So hopefully we get two days in a row here. Uh, We're going to do that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. 
Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. That music can only mean one thing, interweb insanity. It's the end of the show uh, where we read stories from the internet that we have not seen but have been provided by our producer, PJ, our executive producer, Keith Conrad. So we are reading these sight unseen uh, even though that may not be a wise career decision for us to do so. Uh, but <laughs> before we read them, Ian, tell us a little bit about Thrivent again. Brian, I would love to. First off, whatever you're doing, stop what you're doing, go to Thrivent.com, just peruse. And not in the modern definition of the word peruse, the actual original definition of the word peruse, which means to study with great intention. I want you to really, really soak it in. Anyway, I've been a Thrivent member for like better part of a decade it's a Fortune 500 non-for-profit. Uh, they've been around over 100 years. Great organization. I love not only like when I meet with uh, our team, there's like a sense of not just how do I save for the future, but also how do I live generously now? Because that's a value as a Christ follower and because it's a Christian organization, they totally get it. But if you're looking for a career change or you're just interested in the possibility of a career change, I want to encourage you to head on over to thrivent.com slash careers or call 630 630- Five nine eight two one two eight. That's six three zero five nine eight two one two eight, and see if a career change might not be perfect for you. All right, let's jump into interweb insanity. I'm going to let you go first. Okay, so you've already read this one because before we went live, you said I'm going to let you take the first one. Just the headline. Now that, I'm, now that I'm reading the headline, I see why. Okay, so this <laughs> is out of the UK, and I'm just reading here. We haven't seen these before. This, oh gosh, women's attraction. Yeah, here we go. Woman's attraction to chandelier, not a sexual orientation, ruling says. And I'm going to have to read more, apparently. A British woman (laughs) in a long-term relationship with a 92-year-old German chandelier has been told that her attraction to historic light fittings is not considered to be a protected sexual orientation. The press regulator, Ipso, made the ruling. There's actually a ruling? Okay. After Amanda Liberty, a woman from Leeds in her mid-30s, complained about an article in The Sun mocking her public declaration of love for Lumiere, her name for an intricate lamp she bought on eBay. She argued... uh, I'm going to get through this. She argued that the newspaper's article breached the regulator's code of conduct, which requires publishers to avoid prejudicial or pejorative references to individual sexuality. Liberty identifies as a, quote, objectum sexual, an individual who is attracted to objects. She objected pun not intended, to being included (laughs) in an end-of-year article by Sun columnist Jane Moore, which nominated her for a a what award? What is that word? Dagenham Award? Two stops past parking prize. Okay, simply because of her sexual attraction to Lumiere. This is Lumiere. Enchanté, chérie. Yeah, I'm going with one too many viewings of Beauty and the Beast right there, right? There we I go. I knew that joke was coming. I yep. knew he's what? a candle, though. That's a He's a candle in Beauty and the Beast. Good point. Good point. All right. Man, we're always – this is uh, – yesterday was all international. Now we got our second international one now. Here, here we go. Oh, boy. Back in the U.K., the town shouting moo each day to keep boredom away. <laughs> Local residents in Belper in Derbyshire have taken an unusual step to easing boredom during the coronavirus lockdown. They've begun making some mooing sounds. Yes, believe it or not, for the last 19 days at 6.30 p.m., locals lean out of their windows and make cow noises to amuse themselves. They've also been trying to perfect their moos with all sorts of tools, including a digiter... How do you say that again? Digeridoo. And a microphone. A didgeridoo, yeah. There we go. We say they deserve a pat on the head. Ha ha. 
I mean, there are way worse things you can do to pass the time, right? That's right. All right, staying international. This one's in India. A UP couple, which I'm assuming is not Upper Peninsula, <laughs> names newborn sanitizer. Sanitizer. Oh, boy. Sanitizer. I can read good. Says it's their, quote, contribution in fight against COVID-19. Didn't we already do this one? The no, COVID-19. Was another weird one with a name? Coro- where they named their twins Corona and virus no oh gosh something like that something like that yeah the COVID-19 crisis and the resulted lockdown appears to have impacted people's view of life close on the heels of parents naming their newborns oh there it is lockdown and corona That's couple it. in Uttar Pradesh's Sahanpur town about 500 kilometers from here not from here <laughs> just what the article <laughs> says named their newborn as sanitizer you're so dumb you are really dumb for real all right, if, if we're going to go back to the U.S., there's only one spot to go. We're going to Florida. Uh-oh. Love it. Florida man accused of beating cellmate who asked for a courtesy flush to help with the smell. Wow, we are really reaching here. Yep, yep. today might have been a stretch. An argument over passing gas and a request for a courtesy flush after using the jail toilet led to a Florida man beating his cellmate. Deputy said Guilford Abshire, age 53, was sharing a cell with a 65-year-old man. That's funny, 53 and 65. It's like grumpy old men. When the men got upset with each other, a few minutes later, Abshire used their shared toilet. And afterward, the victim asked Abshire to provide a courtesy flush to help with the overwhelming odor. odor, odor. (laughs) At that point, deputy said Abshire started kicking the victim who was on the bottom bunk. And what the f*** was that smell? Yikes. All right. Can we end on a high note? I think so. All right, here we go. Indiana. Indiana man finds mysterious $8.2 million in bank account. <laughs> Indiana man awaiting his $1,700 stimulus pa- uh, payment said he checked his balance at an ATM and instead discovered a mysterious sum of $8.2 million. <laughs> Charles Calvin of New Chicago said he visited the ATM at his local Family Express on Friday to take out $200 and then decided to check his remaining available balance to see if his stimulus payment had been deposited yet. Calvin said he was shocked to see his balance was $8.2 million. <laughs> A volunteer firefighter said he called his bank Monday morning and was told his account balance had returned to normal, but his 1700 stimulus had arrived. It kind of sucks, Calvin told WGN-TV. You got to go from being a millionaire one second and then back to being broken oh. again. Hey, once you're poor, you don't have anywhere else to go but up. <laughs> money, money. Oh, good attitude out of Calvin there. Indiana kind of saved us. Florida took us to the gutter. (laughs) Indiana saved us. Well, we're glad you joined us today. We hope you join us again tomorrow. Uh, For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.